Our Father, you are the creator of both male and female. You have made us both in your own image, both to reflect portions of your glory that we would not have with only one gender. We thank you, O God, that there are things that we can learn from being masculine, but there are things that the masculine can learn from watching the feminine. And we, O God, are people who understand that you have equated us in Christ. You have raised our value to equal status before you. The, the culture, O oh God, is still confused about the role of men and the role of women. We, as your people, are not. We understand, O oh God, that you have called us all to submit to one another in all things. And Father, we pray that as we seek to become more like Jesus Christ, that men will become masculine in a maximum way and women will become feminine in a maximum way as well. There is nothing more beautiful, O oh God, to a man than a, than a woman and nothing more beautiful to a woman than a man because we reflect the God who made us, marred by sin indeed, but still bearing the imprimatur of the sovereign God of the universe. Might we bear that image with great dignity and humility as we seek to become more like Jesus Christ. Thank you for the men of this church, O oh God, and their leadership. We pray that you will raise up countless others to take Grace Evan to a higher plateau of sacred devotion. Father, we continue to pray for our nation. She is a nation that has been cut loose from any absolutes, and thus she has her feet firmly planted in midair. And I pray, O oh God, that you will use the church of Jesus Christ to remind her that you are the creator and giver of all life. And you are willing to be reconciled in Jesus Christ. And now in that name, we give. We give for His purposes, for His glory, for His use. And pray that you will direct those who decide how that money is spent. Give them wisdom so that every dime can be squeezed. So that maximum glory to the Savior can be had. We commit ourselves to that, Father, and do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 1, at verse 18. And you follow as I read. I'm going to read only one verse. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet... They shall be as white as snow, though they are like crimson, they shall be as wool. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. As most of you know, I am in a series on the subject, the topic of marriage. 
And you might think it a bit odd that this text has been chosen for our text in a series on marriage. Let me tell you what I'm doing. As I said to you last week, it seems to me that information is not wanting. Uh, hearing sermons about what the Bible has to say about marriage have been heard aplenty from you, uh, from this pulpit, and from other places that you have been. The knowledge is available. And so I concluded that more information, more uh, data, wouldn't necessarily help souring marriages. And so what I want to try to do is create a thirst and an appetite for a beautiful marriage. And I want to reason with you based on information that you already have. That's why I chose this text. That's what God is doing. Reasoning with his nation Israel based on information that they already possessed. And so, I'm seeking to to give you, by God's grace, a picture of the beauty of this institution. Today we're going to do it just a little differently. I know, Luther, that I didn't warn you about this, and I apologize. This is Randy and Lisa Pierce. And um, about a month ago, Randy and I um, had a lunch appointment together. And at that lunch, um, it was about, we were talking about discipleship matters. Had nothing to do with marriage. And while in that conversation over lunch, Randy said something about his marriage that absolutely enthralled me. Randy, give him some hint of that story. Well, that's not exactly what you said you were going to say. (laughs) Well, I did my best. Uh, This place is a lot bigger from up here. Um, Jimmy and I were eating lunch, and and he knows uh, a lot about this because... uh, uh, we've been going to Grace now for, I don't know, eight or nine years. And uh, uh, I just told him, I said, Jimmy, I, I, I just want to tell you how, how sweet and how, much, how sweet our marriage is and how much Lisa and I are in love with each other and how good things are. And uh, I went on to say, you know, I have this compelling need to tell others about what God's done in our marriage. To which he immediately replied, well, how about Sunday morning before both services? <laughs> and uh, so here we are. Uh, before Lisa and I were married, uh, I was the single divorced father of two little girls and had custody of them, four and five years old, and uh, was attempting to uh, manage a law practice and raise those two little girls. Uh, met Lisa. Uh, Lisa became a part of our lives. Uh, she uh, helped me with those. Uh, she would eat dinner with us. We'd go do things together. And, and uh, finally, uh, Lisa and I decided uh, to be married. And uh, about that time, uh, uh, the girls were trying to make another decision for them to, to spend some time with their mother. And so we got married uh, about that time. We... Uh, the girls weren't with us, and we decided that if we were going to, uh, when we started our family, that if the girls were going to be there, uh, we could, you know, not put that off. But if they were go- weren't going to be with us, we would uh, put that off for a little while. And 
And uh, as things would have it, they wound up with us right away, and we started our family right away. As a matter of fact, the first time we decided to start our family, we had a, it was on the way. So uh, uh, Jonathan was born, and, uh, and 20 months later, uh, Weston was born. And uh, suddenly Lisa went from being a, a young, single professional to being a uh, married uh, mother of four children. And uh, this was in three years and three months. And at that time, I, I largely uh, abrogated my responsibilities as a husband and a father. I was busy making a living, uh, hunting and fishing and having a good time. And I dumped all this on Lisa. Um, and needless to say, uh, right away our marriage started going downhill. And uh, I won't elaborate except to say uh, it, it hit the bottom. Uh, it, hit, it hit the pits. Uh, the bottom of the pit, and all of a sudden I was looking at another divorce, another failed marriage. And uh, I became... Uh, Clinically depressed uh, on medication, I couldn't sleep at night. I'd fall asleep at bedtime, and I'd be up at 11, 11, 30, 12. I'd be up the rest of the night. The less sleep I got, the more depressed I got. The more depressed I got, the less sleep I got. And uh, uh, Lisa had was preparing to leave. At or near that time, uh, we found uh, we had moved across the street, and we, we visited Grace, uh, and uh, I remember sitting in Jimmy's first sermon, uh, and tears uh, just uh, streaming down my face. And, uh, uh, you know, w- we came back, um, and we started going here, and all of a sudden I realized that something was missing in my life. And, and that was the next summer when Jimmy uh, and some guys invited me to go to the Promise Keepers uh, convention or whatever you call it, the Promise Keepers meeting down in Atlanta. And uh, uh, that, that was a, a life-changing experience for me. Uh, 66,000 men uh, heard a lot of good stuff, and Jimmy and I got to spend a, a few minutes of one-on-one, so he knows what I'm talking about. And I came back from that uh, uh meeting a, a changed person, and I was just, first thing I learned is I didn't know how to love my wife, and I didn't understand the biblical charge that we have as men to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And so I came back all fired up and charged up, and I just knew Lisa could see it on me, and, you know, I was about this big around, and, and uh, you know, I came back and... Uh, I got no reaction from her at all, but uh, I set about to, uh, to do what I'd learned, and I would get up every morning, and uh, I would uh, get up before daylight, I would read my Bible, would pray, and, uh, uh, you know, nothing happened. And uh, days turns in, turned into weeks, and weeks turns into, turned into months, and, and, and a year goes by or so. And, you know, I don't feel like I'm making any headway, and I'm getting discouraged. And uh, I, I just uh, I, I don't understand what's going on. And uh, 
I mean, one morning, several things happened. One morning, I, I remember um, I literally got down in the floor. Uh, put my face to the floor. I spread out my hands. I said, God, I can't do this by myself. I just can't do it. And uh, uh, at or near that time, well, I don't know exactly about the timing on this, but, but God saw fit to put another man in my life at that time. I don't know if he's here this morning or not, but uh, Jimmy Martin... Uh, and I became friends from Tuesday morning prayer group. And uh, on Wednesday nights we'd meet, and he'd pray for me. Uh, we met with several guys, but he would pray for me. He loved on me, and he encouraged me. And uh, that would help. And then I would hear Jimmy say, I don't know, in a sermon or Tuesday mornings, and he would say, keep on doing the right thing. And so I drew a little encouragement from that, and I kept on. And uh, I remember some, at some point, I finally said, I said, God, and this reminds me of, well, let's make a deal things, and we've all done, and I don't really mean it that way. But I said, God, I will give up all of my expectations for this marriage, whatever it's supposed to be, whatever I'm supposed to be getting out of this, whatever. You know, I would give any, all of it up if you would just restore Lisa's love that she had for me when we were married. And that, and that and that's what I really prayed hard for. I thought, if I could just get to this. And so, I'm telling you, one year went by, two years went by, three years went by, and I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. But, again, that just emphasizes where, where we were. And... Uh, and then suddenly one day, um, uh, Lisa said something like, uh, I asked her, well, what do you think about this? You know, I put all my, man, all my arrogance and all my manful pride aside, and I said, well, what do you think about this, Lisa? And she said, well, sweetie, that's what she calls me. She said, well, sweetie, whatever you think about this. And I thought, well, wow, you know, that's not bad. And so... I kept on praying, and I kept on, and, I, and I'd ask her something else. And she said, well, sweetie, um, you're the head of the household, whatever you think. And I thought, wow, maybe this is working. And so I noticed she started coming along beside me, and she started, uh, you know, we started loving on each other again. And, uh, and then one day, I don't, you know, I don't remember where, I don't remember when, I don't, for sake of this story, I'd love to say that we were embracing, and and I was telling her how much I love her. I don't exactly remember. I'm, I'm sure it was something like that. And she looked up at me, and she said, Well, Randy, I love you more than I've ever loved you before. And I thought, God, you have been listening. You really have been listening. And so I say to you, uh, we're here today to share what God's done by his grace in our lives and in our marriage. And so I know today, not only do I know that I know that by God's grace that I'm saved and where I'll spend eternity, 
but I know that I know what God intended between a man and a woman and the love he intended for, uh, for us on this earth and uh, how wholly inadequate I would be without her. Thank you both. There's one word that Randy did not use um, that he used in my office, and this is the word that he used to describe his marriage uh, before he uh, became a Christian, and it was the word dead. My marriage was dead. Is that true of any of you all? I'll say if uh, you are worried about the future of your marriage, you've got plenty of company. Uh, there's uh, no denying that this is a very scary time for American couples. We're being told that a, uh, more than half of all first-time marriages end up in divorce. Back in the 80s, there were some social scientists who were telling us that, that uh, the, the rate of uh, divorce had leveled off and everybody was celebrating. But the most recent data demonstrates that they, their, their celebration was premature. Uh, the most recent data uh, suggests that the divorce rate among first recent marriages uh, is at 67%. That means two out of every three marriages are headed for divorce unless something changes. All marriages start out good. Someone said, all beginnings are lovely. I attended three weddings this summer. One of them was last night. And uh, I sat close enough at all three of these weddings uh, intentionally to be able to take a look at the faces of the bride and the groom as they exchanged vows. I wanted to watch them. Can you imagine what they looked like as they were exchanging vows? They, they spoke with such firmness. One guy, the, the, the groom last night was asked, would he love and cherish his wife? And he responds, I absolutely will. And everybody snickered in the crowd. And, and, and uh, in all three of these instances, they spoke so tenderly and so warmly and sincerely and firmly and excitedly and adoringly and confidently. You did that once. You marry couples who are seated here today and there's a certain measure of sourness in your marriage. Do you remember that? Do you remember? You spoke just as confidently, just as warmly and tenderly. All marriages look indestructible on the wedding day. But somewhere between the wedding day and the wedding night, entropy sets in. You know what entropy is? It's the word that's used to summarize the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics is a law of physics which says that everything tends towards randomness. Everything tends towards dissolution. Greatest uh, example I ever heard about that was, um, imagine this. Uh, let's say that you uh, bake a chicken for supper. And you take the baked chicken out of the oven, you set it on the table. Mmm, smells good. And then it sits there for three hours and now it's cold. 
And then it sits there for three days and it stinks. Then it sits there for three weeks and things are crawling on it. And then it sits there for three months and you've got a health hazard. Well, that's an illustration, ladies and gentlemen, of entropy. Forces that set in in our marriages to begin to pull things apart. What forces are those? Well, they differ from couple to couple, I'm sure. But um, when those forces begin to take their toll, one day we wake up and we realize, you know, there used to be more passion in this thing than there is now. And you wonder to what happened you wonder what happened to all the laughter and all the affection. When did marital life become so drab and flat and colorless? And then, then something sneaks across the brain that asks, Is this as good as it gets? Is this it? And it's at that point that we begin to, make, we begin to develop coping strategies. We decide we're going to gut this thing out. Or the respective spouses go to their individual corners and, and uh, try to ignore each other. Or at least stay out of each other's way. Or one of the partners decides that they're so miserable that they're going to blow the whole silly thing up with an affair. And all of that, ladies and gentlemen, whether you gut it out or in your corner or... Ha- All of that does nothing more than delay or deny the real issues that are pulling your marriage apart. I want to mention to you some issues of marital entropy this morning. And then next week we're going to try to come up with some solutions. So you're going to have to come back next week. I hate to just give you the the, the bad news, but we don't have time. Next week I'm going to talk about some solutions to marital entropy. But I want to mention five things. And very honestly, guys, I've got about 16 minutes to do it. Um, and and um, I've got five things to mention. And really, the other four aren't as important as the first one. If I can just get through the first one. If you want to, if you want to take off the last four, you have my permission. But don't miss this one. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I am convinced that all marital dysfunction, all of it, I don't care what color or shape yours is, all marital dysfunction comes as a, as a result of the violation of the first commandment. You know what the first commandment is? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What I am saying, ladies and gentlemen, is that the source and root of all marital dysfunction is because we are idolaters. We have turned to our marriages and asked those marriages to give us things that marriage simply cannot give us. Gang, it's a, it's a singles ruse. The idea that if I find the right person, I'll be happy. That's not true. Oh, I've got to be married if I'm ever going to be happy. Remember that statement that is quoted so often? Uh, it's from Augustine who said, Our hearts are restless until they rest in my spouse. That's not what that statement says. That quote goes, my, Our hearts are restless 
until they rest in thee. And I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, that so many of us entered into marriage, bringing into that marriage unbelievable expectations that are completely false and unreal and the subject of idolatry. We are placing so much pressure on our spouse to make us happy. As if that spouse could make us happy when in fact they cannot. But to ask that, ladies and gentlemen, makes you an idolater. It says that if I'm ever going to be fulfilled in life, if I'm ever going to feel loved, really, really loved, he's going to have to do it. Or she's going to have to do it. And I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that you are asking your spouse to be your savior. You are asking of your marriage that which your marriage can never give you. Your marriage, your spouse has become your strength. I'm sorry. That's a mistake. Your, your, your spouse has become your source of worth. Sorry. That's a horrible mistake. Because, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is to be my strength. He's to be my rock. He is to be my salvation, not my marriage. And you bring that, call it an unrealized expectation. I don't care what you call it. But it's, it's idolatry at its core. I walk into my marriage thinking, ah, now that I'm free to have all of these sexual liberties, all of my frustrations are going to be eliminated. Ha! And what we've ended up with is sexual polarization. There is an enormous desire gap in many marriages. And it's there, ladies and gentlemen. It's there not because we've got bad anatomy. It's there because we're idolaters. We have asked our marriage to give us something that our marriage simply cannot give us. And so, when that stark realization finally breaks through, who do we blame? We turn to that poor spouse of ours and say, Huh? I thought you were supposed to make me happy. Huh? I thought you were supposed to bring completion into my life. Huh? This vacuum that I've experienced all my life, I thought I was supposed to be filled up by this marriage. And you didn't do it. Because you haven't, I've learned to despise you. You know what uh, blocked goals produces every time, ladies and gentlemen? If I come into a marriage thinking that my wife is going to meet all my needs and she doesn't, a blocked goal will always produce anger. Because I had a goal and she got in the way. And I'm saying to you, these other four things that I'll mention, I'll mention them rapidly. But the granddaddy of them all is a violation of the first commandment. A force that sets in our marriage early on 
and a realization that breaks through, thinking, oh, I thought this was supposed to be nirvana. And it's not. You married a sinner who cannot meet all of your needs. And to expect that is to turn that spouse of yours into a savior. Guys, if you didn't hear anything else, that, that's what I want you to hear, is that I'm convinced that all of our dysfunction, all of our coolness, all of our distance, all of our, our anxieties in marriage comes from the fact that your hearts are still restless because they're resting in something that they were never supposed to rest in. Yes, our hearts are still restless until they rest in thee, not in her, not in him. Let me mention four others real quickly. First of all, a marital entropy of unhealthy choices that steer us towards the rocks. A wife who decides that she's going to talk to her mother about her marital problems when she knows that her husband will be infuriated when he finds out. A husband who chooses to spend time with men that he knows is going, are going to take him into compromising situations that he will regret later. A wife who chooses to, to, to foolishly run up debt. Or a husband who chooses to overschedule his wife right out of his life. Now, I hadn't even mentioned pornography or uh, uh, developing a relationship with a member of the opposite sex, which I know is off limits. I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, that there are choices that we make that steer us towards the rocks. Let me ask you this. Who's responsible for those bad choices? My wife? Uh Uh-uh. No, I'm, I'm responsible for my bad choices that steered my marriage towards the rocks. I am. Not her. Not him. The third piece of entropy. This will somewhat surprise you. The arrival of children. Gang, it is a marvel how the, the miracle of a new baby can take the magic out of marriage. What, what couples seem to not understand is that not only are they giving birth to a new human, they are giving birth to a new marriage. The birth of each child sets in motion a permanent alteration in your marriage. You ought to read the data that I read. Studies that show that when, when baby comes, when baby makes three, conflicts increase eightfold. Uh, marriage takes a back seat, women feel overburdened, and men feel shoved aside. By, by the baby's first birthday, most mothers are less happy about their marriage, and some are wondering whether their marriage will survive at all. Baby-induced marital meltdowns are pretty common. Um, I want to read you a couple of quotes from women in response to this. And uh, one of them is a tad raw, but uh, the woman's name is uh, Judy. She says, before kids, I was thrilled to hear my husband's voice on the phone. Now, after a day of meetings and phone calls and carpools and wet swimsuits, I sometimes wonder, 
Who is this guy who seems to want food? An audience. And he's got to be joking. Sex. (laughs) Here's another woman. Ten years after we brought our first child home, we had evolved into spending Friday nights watching other people fall in love based on some Hollywood script. I, I want to offer you an opinion. It is hard on you women indeed. But I want to suggest, if anything, this piece of entropy is harder on men. There's not a man I know who takes being relegated to the back seat of the marriage. Who takes that well? Not a man I know. I'll say this, ladies. If I hear one common theme, and that's, that's an overstatement, but if I hear something regularly from husbands, it is something having to do with kids being too important to their wives. Fourth piece of marital entropy, those unpredictable circumstances, those lightning bolts that kind of leap into our marriage uninvited, unemployment, health crises, parenting issues, rebellious kids, uh, infertility, death of a friend, crime, addictions. And it seems that the younger you are, the harder those things are on you. But those things that we have no control over, they, they, they tend to tear us apart. One other thing quickly. It's what I like to call destructive interactions. Watching husbands and wives interact in my office sometimes is a, is a seminary education. I find husbands who have developed such contempt for their wives, there's not a nice thing they can ever say about them. And I always like to say something like this. Let me ask you a question. How long have you been married? Oh, 11 years? Okay, well, tell me this. Why in the world did you marry this woman? Huh? You have become so contemptuous of her. There's nothing that's good about her. What did you see in her? Or the... The shifting the blame. I don't have any problems. She's got problems. If I've heard that from a man once, I've heard it 50 times. I don't know why we're here. <laughs> Who is it that reaches out for help when marriages are coming apart? I don't get too many male phone calls. The worst of all is when you finally give up. It's called indifference. I don't care what she does. And when you hear that, that comes out of a mouth of a spouse who has given up. The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. She can do what she wants to. I don't care. That's a partial list. I'm sure you could add to it and probably do a better job, but it's good enough for starters. It certainly at least makes my point. Did you forget my point? My point was somewhere between wedding day and wedding night, entropy sets in. It begins to pull our marriages apart. But none of this that I've said this morning, ladies and gentlemen, means that our marriages are doomed or that divorce is on the horizon. But we've got some work to do. Uh, and, and I'm here to tell, I am not here to tell you that marriage is hard work. You already know that. Ann Landers even said that marriage is not a gift, it's an accomplishment. 
But I can say this to you, and I hope you'll leave with this ray of hope. There would be an enormous improvement in your marriage if each of you would learn one new skill. And we're going to talk about those in the coming weeks. But here is the first thing. Here is the first step to change. We've got to begin here. Repentance. Not just being sorry that I did this to her or that, that I'm this way or I'm just like this. But being sorry enough to change with God's help. You just heard from a man who took three years of crying out to God. You didn't get this marriage in a mess overnight, and it's not going to get out of the mess overnight, but it's got to start with repentance, which is two-dimensional. There is a dimension of repentance that's towards God, and then there's a dimension of repentance that's towards my spouse. Dallas Willard said, get this quote, this is, he said, your system is perfectly designed to produce the results you've been achieving. (laughs) You don't like the results you've been achieving? Well, your system is perfectly designed to produce the results that you're achieving. So you got the wrong system. We have to change it. My wife came up with this quote. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Guys, only by grace can lasting change be made, but lasting change must be made. So here's what I'm suggesting. Go home today and say to your spouse rather humbly, I want to change. Will you help me? None of this... I'll change if you'll change business. This is, this is no, I'll meet you in the, in the middle. This is a sellout, ladies and gentlemen, on both of your parts, on both sides of the equation. It's a sellout to produce the marriage that you've always dreamed of. But Jimmy, that's so risky. Yes, it is. But do you remember... Do you remember the day that you were dressed in white and he was dressed in black? Do you remember the dreams that you entertained on that day? Well, dream them again. You can. If you will start with repentance. Dream them again. Our Father, I do pray that your people might be encouraged to know that what uh, we have is something so worth fighting for, so worth working over, that we must not and cannot give up on it. I thank you for the model that we've been given in, in flesh and blood, a marriage that was dead, but a marriage that resurrected by your grace. And I pray that you will produce the same kind of uh, determination on the part of wives and on the part of husbands. That they might face each other with a renewed determination to change 
change that has been brought about by the enablement of your Holy Spirit. Father, in the flesh, we can produce none of this by grace. Help produce it, lest our marriages die. Father, we know that there is a covenant bond between a husband and a wife. A covenant that you authored very similar to the covenant that you have made with sinners. That if we by faith lay hold of Jesus Christ, you will be reconciled to us. And we become brand new. What you have done in our souls, do a similar thing in our marriages. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.